You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. All right, let's get after it, folks. Philippians, turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at that in a few moments. And already this morning we took and, and Duane read the passage that we're going to be unpacking as, as part of our scripture reading this morning. And, and, and so Philippians chapter 1, developing this mind, developing the mind of Christ more and more in us. And I want to start out by asking you a question today. You don't have to answer out loud. You can just kind of think about it. I want to just ask you a basic question. Are you happy? If you're happy, that's great. You don't, we're not going to um, ask for a show of hands or different things like that. But I'm wondering today, if you're not happy, or even if you are happy, what would make you even that much more happier? And oftentimes, it comes down to one word. And that one word that oftentimes we think that will make us a little more happy or will finally get us happy in life is one word, and it's called more. If I have more, if I have more money, if I had a little more security, if I had a little bit more time to get things done, then I'd be able to put my head on the pillow and kind of be at calm, you know, rest and calm and not be, you know what, just kind of unhappy and, and, and stressed. Maybe if I had a little bit more, a uh, little bit more weight taken off of me. Um, in life, then I'd be happy if I just lost some weight, or maybe I need to lose a lot of weight, or, or if I just had more time off, more holiday time, you know, if I could just get that from my boss, that would be wonderful, or, or if I could just have more peace of mind, I would just love to have some peace and, and more peace in my mind, I kind of need that, or maybe it's some more wisdom, you know, what? because I've made some really silly decisions in my past, or a little more common sense to kind of get through some of the difficult decisions in life, or, or maybe it's even I just need some more more faith. More faith to believe. Here's something to ponder though. You and I will never be happy if the goal in life is to be happy. We will never be happy if our goal is to be happy because the things that we're looking for happy in aren't going to make us, it may make us a little spike in our happy meter, but it runs out. Joy Joy is another story. Happy? Don't be always guaranteed of that in life. But joy in the midst of struggle? That's a possibility. And we look at the Apostle Paul, and we, we kind of set the background last week as we got this series going, that here the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians from, uh, well, not a very happy place, if you want to call it. I mean, he's writing from prison. And And yet he has found something far greater than happy. He has found joy. And this is actually a picture of where it was believed that when he was writing Philippians that this is where he was. And we have a picture here of the prison that that he was in. And it is commonly believed this was the place and that he was even chained to a Roman guard. And so he was not in a very happy place. But one thing that he knew is that... uh, He didn't know much. He didn't know how certain his future was. He didn't know if he was going to be getting out of this. And yet, he's kind of this bubbling, gushing out kind of guy here that is very much unlike any of the other books that he's written. But as he's writing this book to the Philippians, he is so overwhelmed with joy. And you might be thinking, well, I could use some of that. If this guy, Paul, is in prison and he's writing this amazing letter to people and he has all this joy, I could use some infusion of that. Well, you can. 
This is for you, as we talked about last week, that this series, this developing the mind of Christ, the pursuit of joy, isn't just a pursuit, but can be a reality in our lives. And today I'd like for us to to look and learn from Paul on how and why he was so full of joy in prison. What was going on? And we're going to look at how you and I can have joy in the midst of blank. That's the title of our message today. Joy in the midst of blank. And you can fill in the blank. Joy in the midst of stinky circumstances. Or tiring circumstances. Or frustrating. Or depressing. Or hopeless. Or maybe it's joy in the midst of loneliness. Whatever it is, you can go ahead and fill in the blank and, and six months from now you can fill the blank in with another word that might describe where you might be at right now or where you've come from and, and, or easily where you may be headed to. You just don't know that. Maybe you know the future ahead is very uncertain. Maybe it's the future is going to be very tiring when you look ahead to the calendar and see all that's going on. And so here we go. We're going to talk about having joy in the midst of blank circumstances. And the first thing that Paul says, we can have joy in the midst of blank circumstances by remembering the past. By taking time to remember the past. And we see this in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. And as Paul is even just talking as he's writing this this letter he his heart is just welling up with more and more joy it's just like i love you folks so much and it kind of reminds me when clarice our daughter was uh just little and she had these cute little chubby cheeks and messy hair and and she would come uh, i'd come home at the end of the day and i mean she really i mean at times we just thought she you know what she she fit the term motor mouth very very well because she just talked and it was just jibber jabber and she'd be so happy i'd be home and and it would just be this bubbling just just go just go crazy with just, you know, dad. All I would hear is dad, and then I'd hear Cujo, the dog, and I would hear all these different things, and, and she just blub, blubbering kind of thing. Well, this is what Paul is doing when he's writing to them, because this is so unlike Paul in, in the way that he wrote any of his other letters. And as he is remembering the past, and he's remembering the story that he, kind of the, the situation with the Philippians, he was, he was just filled with, with incredible joy as, as he remembered the deep valley of discouragement that he was walking through just prior to meeting the Philippian people here, which became the Philippian church. If you remember, we talked about last week how he had a huge, huge fallout with a very dear friend and ministry partner of his. They had gotten along, they did ministry together, and then boom, they had this major disagreement. At the end of the day, they decided to separate. You go this way, I'll go this way, and, and, and... I'm sure that took a lot out of him. When you have a disagreement with someone, it's hard. It's emotionally difficult. And so he, he kind of, he, he keeps going and he has his little entourage. And if we could go to the map of where he was going. And, and so let's throw the map up there right now. I've got the trusty uh, pointer. We have that map? There we go. Okay, so he starts out in, in Jerusalem. Somewhere in here he has the falling out. And he heads over this way. He picks up Timothy. Timothy, the young, the, the young new disciple who, who got saved in the first missionary journey, came and joined him here at Lystra. He said, hey, come on. Come with, with the team here. And so he has the Dr. Luke and he has Silas with him. And, and so they start heading up into different areas and, and they want to 
preach the gospel. They want to plant some churches. They want to do what God called them to do. And all he experienced was nothing but frustration, discouragement. It, it was just the Holy Spirit just kept saying, ah, no, not here. And so they'd head to Bithynia. And he's like, ah, not here. They walked hundreds of kilometers and nothing. There was no fruitfulness. Instead, they just kept continuing to get shut down. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. And so they, they, they try out Galatia, Pisidia. They're going on, but nothing is happening. And so finally in the end, they end up in Troas, kind of discouraged, wondering, well, what's to become of it? And, and no doubt Timothy, or I mean Paul, was at a very low point here by this point. Fall out with a dear friend, and now he's wanting to go and preach the gospel, and he's wanting to plant churches, kind of what God had called him to do, and nothing. It's just dry season, dry spell, not going anywhere. And then he ends up across the ocean, over to modern-day Europe, over there in Philippi, top of the screen there. He ends up in Philippi, and had this amazing core group just right ready for him to plant the church, didn't he? No, it wasn't. It was just this messed up group. I mean, his first few converts were, first of all, a very wealthy businesswoman that was very helpful, probably helped with some financing, as well as she, she allowed uh, the team to stay at her place, so that was good. But then, so you had an upper-class, high-end businesswoman, and her family are the first converts, and then there's a slave girl who was demonized, who had been delivered and had been set free, and then you have, uh, because of that, Paul and Silas beaten with rods and thrown into prison, because now all of a sudden, well, you can listen to last week's message or just read Acts chapter 16, even better yet, to, to get the history on this. And so then, next thing you know, he, there's the earthquake in prison. Paul and Silas are released, as well as all the other prisoners, but no one goes anywhere, and the Philippian jailer comes, and he wants to know about Christ. And so here you have a high-end businesswoman, a slave girl. You have a, a Roman jailer, total opposite ends of the spectrum, and these are the first few people that get ministered to, the first number of converts to, to help start this church. So now... 10 years, maybe even 15 years later, Paul's in prison and he is recalling what God had done. He recalled the work that took place in Philippi and it's filling him with joy. He's just remembering, man, that was tough going. It was at a low point in my life. Then God showed up and, and, and we, through a dream, we headed over into Macedonia and, and went to Philippi and, and there this church began. As they were proclaiming the gospel, it wouldn't have been easy. There would have been opposition. To be a Christian in that day was basically sticking it to the political as well as to the religious structure that was there. And so it would have meant, and, and there was, there was persecution and opposition that they faced. But that little church kept on going. They weren't going to quit. And in some ways, when you look at it, what are the chances of churches making it? You can go online, you can do some study, you can do, do some research, uh, and it doesn't take you very long to find this statistic that even in North America, the chances of church plants surviving is 20%. There's an 80% not going to make it rate when it comes to church planting in North America. Why? Because it's hard work. Why? Because... The enemy doesn't want to see churches prevail, doesn't want to see it happen. And sometimes churches are started for the wrong reasons, various different reasons for that. And when you look at this church in Philippi, the chances of it going, because, I mean, there was a lot of social issues just even within those first three groups of converts. Not only is there opposition, but Paul didn't even stick around there very long. So, I mean, how is this going to go on? Why? Because they were pursuing Jesus. Because Jesus was at the center. Because they were obsessed with 
the message of Jesus Christ. They were obsessed with the gospel. And that, that flushes out through this letter and what we find in history about that Philippian church. That is why they continue to go. We don't know how big that church got. We don't know how many, if they had buildings. We don't know how many services they had. We don't know how many staff people. We don't know, you know, any of the, you know, just, just the logistics of that. All we know is this was a church that had a quality to it that was just incredible. A quality of perseverance, but a quality that just caused Paul, 10 to 15 years later, just to rejoice over what had taken place. And so you can even see this, this kind of excitement and this bubbling over that Paul has in verse 7 of chapter 1. As we jump down a few verses and it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I long for you. It's in my gut. It's just, I, 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 I would love to be with you. I'm just so thankful for you. And so here is Paul in not a very happy place remembering, flooding his mind with the memories of God's faithfulness in the past. Low point in his life, incredible work in a church that was unlikely to survive, that continues to keep on going. You know what? Memories can be such a blessing. Memories can be such a blessing in difficult times. The Word of God ultimately is the best place to run to if you want to have your mind filled with truth and and filled with God's faithfulness. As you read the stories, as you go through book after book, whether Old Testament, New Testament of God's faithfulness. And there you see how, and and oftentimes it's so funny, this week I had a number of conversations with people and, and one of the questions we ended up kind of talking about is, what Bible character do you see yourself in? And most of us at different periods in our life will see ourselves like certain Bible characters. And we see God's faithfulness. Maybe it's because you know, had some of the, you had some, some of the same victories as them. But more than likely you had a lot of the same discouragement, pitfalls, failures that they may have had. And yet you continue to persevere. And you see how God led them out. And you're seeing how God is going to lead you or has led or continues to lead you out of what you're in. And so God's word is so important. That's why we need to be in God's word and, and filling our lives with it and, and running to it. For, for times when our lives are falling apart, we need God's word. I love this one little statement. I don't know if I can say it right, but it says that if you see a Bible that is falling apart, it probably belongs to someone whose life isn't falling apart, meaning that the Bible's getting used. It's not just a Sunday thing or just, you know what, just it's being used. It's being read. It's being memorized. It's being, you go to it. And and a couple weeks ago, Charlotte was teaching in Harvest Kids and and she grabbed a Bible from our house. She grabbed one quick and maybe it was just because it it was a good study Bible and and she took it and, and, and then I found out that she left it here. And that wasn't a good thing because that's my Bible that I use that I've written a lot of stuff in there and I've written names of people in there and I've written situations and dates and different things because it's my kind of place that I've been able to run to and that's my, my copy of the word where at times when I've struggled, when I've had issues facing me and I'm like, oh Lord, help me and I'll even at times write down the names of those people or the situation and, and now, years later, whether it's five years, seven years or two years, whatever it might be, when I'm going through those pages, I look at it and say, that's right, that's what God did. I mean, I remember that situation. Praise the Lord for healing, for forgiveness, for, for the way that, that he, oh, I remember that valley. And, and as you go to God's word and you see how he delivered his faithful servants, you can also see how he delivers you. He's faithful. 
memories. Remembering, and, and most of us, I'm sure, can look back at times of just incredible blessing where God, you know, there was a season in life, maybe you were involved in some church or some ministry or something where... It, Maybe it was in revival back in the 70s for some of you. Maybe, I mean, just, just different periods in your life. Maybe it was at a camp or a retreat where God just showed up. And, 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 and maybe that's where you were saved. Maybe it was, was where you recommitted to your life. Maybe it was your baptism. Certain events that took place that just rattled you, that just kind of propelled you on into a new level in your walk with God. And you go back to those times and you're saying, God, thank you. Thank you. And so, so we're looking back with fondness. That can cause and bring us joy. But you know what? There's a problem, though, too, about memories. Memories can be a curse. We can be haunted by memories in the past. If we spend our lives living in sin, in self-centered living, in materialistic pursuit, in, in, in godlessness, or just even lukewarmness, there we can look back and see and remember some emptiness and regret. Maybe it's been a trail of hurt and destruction caused by yourself or maybe caused by someone else. And we can be so haunted and we can feel so guilty and so ashamed and, and sometimes it paralyzes us and causes us to, to not be able to, to move on in our walk with God because of the shame or the regrets or the betray, betrayals, they come to mind and it just, it, it rises up some, some roots of bitterness in our life and, and we can't get beyond that. But folks, the good news is that there is hope, there is healing, there's forgiveness from all of that from the past. And it's found in the gospel. It's what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul wrote, he says, anyone in Christ, whoever's in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And a little later on, we're going to see in, in this series how Paul even brought out some of his past. I mean, he didn't have a very stellar past, did he? Did he have some regrets and some things that later on in life he definitely regretted? You better believe it. And yet that didn't cause him, stunt him, paralyze him from what God had for him because he found the forgiveness that was available through the gospel, through what Christ has done. And it's not about just... You know, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to think about happy things. It's not about trying to block the things from our minds. It's not about trying to just forget it or, or suppress it in any way. It's remembering. Taking the past, the hurt, the, the stuff that's happened, and remembering, yes, that happened, but praise God for the gospel. Praise God that I've been set free. Praise God that, that I'm forgiven. Praise God that it's not held to my account any longer, that, that I'm forgiven and set free. And so remembering the past brought Paul great joy and there he is in prison and he's saying oh God is so good he's so good look at what he's done and we can do the same we can look back we can look back at God's faithfulness we can look back at the fact that we're here today that he's brought us to this point to, to hear these truths and, and some of you need to hear these truths today that you can be forgiven and set free from the past it's no longer held against you to your account Remembering the past brought him a lot of joy. Second of all, I can have joy in the midst of blank by partnering in the gospel. By being a partner in the gospel. Because of your partnership, in verse 5 it says, In the gospel from the first day until now. 
These people just didn't say the words. They just didn't say, yes, I believe. They showed it, and they showed it by their partnership, by their action. And that word there for partnership in the ESV, some translations will put the word fellowship in. Some will put the word participation for your fellowship in the gospel, your participation in the gospel. But the Greek word for that is actually a term that probably many of you have heard, and it's been been very widely kind of misused, as we're going to get into in a moment, is the word koinonia which is the word fellowship. But in this sense, in the way that Paul is writing it, it's a stronger word than just this word fellowship. It's partnership. It's, it's stepping up. It's rolling up the sleeves. It's getting involved. And it's, it, it's, at times today, we can have such a warped view when it comes to fellowship. And, and oftentimes we think that when Christians get together... You know, like after the service, we have a time together, we drink coffee, people bring snacks, and so thankful for people who do that, and we drink coffee and water, and we, we visit together, and so we say, stay for coffee, goodies, and have some fellowship. Well, is that the kind of fellowship Paul is talking about, where you just talk about the weather, and you look out at the, the beautiful mountains, and, and you talk about what kind of week you've had, and different things? Is that fellowship? Well, not exactly, and, and so what we need to do is to go to some high-tech drawings that, that I labored over this, this, this past week to maybe help you to understand this, okay? So let's put this first one up, okay? Here's my famous stickman, okay? So here you have... Um, Person A, person B, don't know, uh, man, woman, doesn't matter, but, but that little heart there, that little red thing, that's a heart, meaning they have a heart for Jesus, that, that they are, are Christians. And so if two Christians are together, just kind of like hanging out, like after the service, or fixing a car together, or, you know what, going skiing, or hunting, or, you know what, getting together and, and, and doing a, a craft together, um, fishing, whatever it might be, automatically is their fellowship when you have two Christians together. Let's go to the next slide on that. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is fellowship just because two people are hanging out like that. That's friendship, and oftentimes there's a good feeling that comes from that, but that doesn't mean that's biblical fellowship that we're going to talk about here. This isn't what Paul was talking about when he said, talked about, you know, yeah, you guys just love hanging out together, and you know what, there, there, there's some strength in that and encouragement. That's friendship, and we all need that, but when it comes to, to true fellowship, koinonia, like Paul is talking about this this partnership it's much more than that it goes deeper than that this fellowship I I remember being a part of the Royal Canadian Legion for a number of years I was the chaplain in in the small town in Alberta where we lived and and it was kind of interesting being a part of that because at that time it was just yeah, it was very interesting, and, and we would have these Remembrance Day services, and, and the, the leader, the president of the Legion at the very end after the Remembrance Day service, where the gym would be packed with people because it was a military community as well, which was, was really cool, um, but the, the, the president of the Legion would get up at the very end, and he would invite everyone back to the Legion, and he would say, for some food, and there's always egg salad sandwiches there, so it was awesome, I enjoyed that part, he said, go, we're going to go there for some food and some food fellowship. And, and that offended me. It's like, you guys don't fellowship. You're just going to get hammered in the next few hours as you're drinking those, uh, as you're eating those egg salad sandwiches. Not from the egg salad sandwiches, but from, from, from what you're going to be drinking. And, and I thought, you're stealing our word. That's not fellowship, what you guys are doing. You're just, that's friendship. That's reminiscing. That's, that's getting hammered together, you know. I mean, and because and, and, that's oftentimes by nine o'clock in the evening, that's the war stories were really going on. And, and some of them weren't even in war. But I mean, it, it was just kind of one of those things, right? Right? And, and so, so, so it's just like, okay, that's not, 
That's not biblical fellowship. That, that's not where it's at. And so don't use that word. Now, I'm not going to get upset like that when people talk about the word fellowship, but let's get to an understanding. What kind of fellowship? This means partnership, partnership in the gospel. What is the gospel? What is Paul talking about? We need to understand that word partnership. We need to understand the word gospel. He says, because you are getting involved in the gospel. So what is the gospel? It's the work of Christ. We are to be involved working in the work of Christ. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ dying, coming to this earth, Not just a good man, just not a good teacher, not just a prophet, but God in the flesh becoming man, living on this earth, dying on the cross for our sins. He died in our place. That's the gospel. And it has to be at the center and the core of our lives. And we need to keep coming back to him. Back to the gospel. It's what what reminds us. It's what focuses us um, throughout the day. Spurgeon read this quote this week. He said, The most important habit we can possess is to remind ourselves daily of the gospel. In the same way that, that people take medications, the same way that people exercise, the same way that we drink our coffee, the same way that we do things in routine, and it's just kind of the way that we do it. As believers in Christ, we need to be reminding ourselves daily of the gospel, of what Christ has done. And so when we face difficult circumstances or frustrating people, we think, okay, you know what, but what has Christ done in, in, in my place? He's forgiven that person. He has loved that person. He has served that person. We remember the example of Christ, and we keep bringing it back to his The truth of the gospel. And so, what is biblical fellowship? If if it's just hanging out, let's go to the next nice little drawing here that we have. It's where Jesus is a part of it. Where where we bring Jesus, where we bring the gospel into it. And and that, you know, it happens. and, And that can be a beautiful thing that can happen after the service. Sunday after Sunday here, that, that it's not just talking about stuff. It's also saying, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And as you talk together, and instead of just saying, well, you know what, I'll, I'll pray for you. Well, do it. Pray for them. Right then and there. Stop, drop, and pray. I'd love nothing more than to, to be walking out, and, and at times I'm seeing this, and this is so good, but, but when you're visiting, when you're talking, all of a sudden you see a group of two people or three people, maybe it's sometimes, hey, pull in someone and say, hey, let, let's pray for our brother. Let's pray for our sister. That's biblical fellowship. That's, that's bringing it back to Christ. It's, it's, it's saying, Christ, we need you. Jesus, we need you more and more. And so as we do this and, and as we meet together um, with one another for coffee, for, for different occasions, may the gospel be a part of it. May, may there be that opportunity for, for us to, to be able to, to minister to one another the truths, the claims, of, and, and reminder of who Christ is. Because at times you need to be encouraged. At times you need to be challenged. And we all need that in our lives. That's what a gospel community is about. Gospel partnerships just doesn't mean nice words, encouragement, and a cup of coffee. It means walking with one another, praying for one another. And for these Philippian people, their partnership in the gospel wasn't just, hey, Paul, we're praying for you. They stepped up to the plate. It went even deeper than, than simply um, nice little notes or, 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 or the encouragement to reminder, hey, we're praying for you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a number of verses. So, so we're going to move out of Philippians 1 for, for a few moments. But Philippians chapter 4, we get another little insight into what was going on here, why Paul was so thrilled. And you say, well, I'd be thrilled too if somebody did what these people did to me, especially when I was hard up like them. You know, this, this would have been, a, uh, or hard up like Paul. I mean, of course he'd be happy. But, but just listen to this. Hear me out. Philippians 4 verses 15 to 18. 
And he says, and you Philippians. So remember, he's talking to Lydia. He's talking to the jailer. He's talking to these new converts. And, and now 10, 15 years old in the faith. And, and, and people who he wouldn't even know. But he says, now you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, so when that church started and after Paul left, he said, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into koinonia or partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what has happened here is Epaphroditus, who's often troubled with some health issues, was strong enough, he traveled to Rome, and he brought a letter, he brought an envelope for the Philippian, or for Paul, who was in prison, and there were some cards, there were some notes of encouragement, and as he opened it, he opens it, and what drops out? Some money. These people collected an offering. And, and Paul was just overwhelmed by, by the money that, that they would do this. And it wasn't so much he was excited about the, the fact that it was cash, that, that he, they had sent him some money. It's what the money said about their faith. The fact that they gave money means that the gospel wasn't just nice words, but it was reaching down and it was ta- touching their pocketbooks. It filled them with great joy and opportunity to be able to give. This was one of the ways that they said we can roll up our sleeves and we can help in gospel advancement even when you're in prison, Paul. We're going to just roll up our sleeves and we're going to get after it. We're going to take an offering. We're going to get after it. And and believe you me, we're not going to take a second offering today, okay? Just so you know, this isn't going to be some kind of money talk where all of a sudden we're going to do that. But you've got to see this because these people, I mean, the gospel has penetrated so deep that they were just given. They were just like, whatever it takes, we'll do. And so... They were rolling up their sleeves in the gospel. This encouraged Paul that the gospel was taking root deep into their lives. This wasn't the first time that they gave, as we saw when he was Thessalonica. Um, Now turn to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to see another thing here as as Paul is actually trying to encourage a church to to give some money to help the struggling church. He's, He's writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying, hey, maybe you guys could give some money to the church in Jerusalem. They're struggling. They're going through a hard time. So maybe you guys can give an offering. And so in verse 1 of of 2 Corinthians 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For even in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. So they gave an offering. They heard that, you know what, Paul needed this money, or, or you know, that the church needed some money. And, and so here he is, you know, just thrilled that they were giving an offering. But he says, but I can testify that they gave and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They were so committed, they said, we are so in, we're so thrilled about what God has done and the commitment that the gospel has made, we want to give. In fact, I mean, 
Could you imagine? I mean, I mean, for a pastor, this would just, just blow, you know what, a pastor away would blow anyone away and just say, can I give to you money? Can we give? We just want, and they don't even have much, but they say, here, we want to give. We want to give to you, and, and, and because we know that Christ, that God will supply all our needs. They just love to give. And it's a window into their soul, what the gospel has done, that it sunk so down that it affected their wallets. You want a window into the reality of faith and commitment to Jesus Christ? If you want to take a test in your own life to see how committed and, and, and how sold out you are, take a look at your pocketbook. Take a look at your visa. Take a look at, at where your money is going. That's a great determination to see how far it's sunk down. You say, ah, oh, that's it, yep. Pastors, that's all they want. They just want to talk about your money. They just want your money. Yes, it's true, I do. But not for my sake. Not for Harvest's sake. It's for your sake. Dear people, you have to hear this. This is vital. That when you give, and you give freely, and you give sacrificially, and you give out of your poverty, there is a joy... There is a blessing. There is a statement that you are making saying, I believe God. I believe that he will supply my needs. I believe that I want to support what God is doing. When you are giving to a church that is preaching the gospel, you are saying the gospel has made such an impact on my life, I just want to share it with others. I want it to go forth. I want to see more churches planted. I want to see God's work prevail and and. He's given us that opportunity to to do it in a very hands-on way. The gospel is more important than money. Hear it, folks, that when I said that, please don't misunderstand me that I'm just not out after your money. It's after what your your money represents. It's about the gospel. It's about the work that, that he desires to do. When you are partnering in the gospel, you're willing to sacrifice for the message of the gospel. This is why Paul was so excited. In the midst of great difficulty and poverty and persecution that this church was facing, they prevailed in giving. The gospel was spilling out in their lives. And, and so they were giving not out of guilt or out of duty or say, okay, I guess I should give something. You know, it's the end of the month. It's the end of the year. I can't afford it. There's oftentimes never the right time to give when we look at it from a dollars and cents level. These people in the midst of their poverty were begging to give. Say, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give anything to the Lord's work. You can't afford not to because God will supply. Say, I don't have much. Lord knows that. You give what is determined in your heart, what the Lord calls you to give. Are you glad that Christ did not wait till the end of the month or the end of the year or maybe wait till the end of your life and say, okay, I'll see if you're good enough. I'll see if you've done enough and then I'll let you in. I'm glad he didn't put those kind of conditions on me. He welcomed me the moment I said I surrender. Father, forgive me of my sins and I surrender to you as my Lord and my Savior. He accepted me. He is the one who was rich, who became poor so that we could become rich. Rich in the gospel. Like the Philippian church, I believe that harvest Kelowna 
that God is writing a story. God wrote an amazing story for that church, a church that gave, a church that, that went through a lot, a church that was willing to roll up their sleeves in service, in sacrifice, in giving to the Lord's work. And I believe that God is writing a unique story here too. Over the last number of years, as it started out as people praying together and seeking God and saying, oh God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. As, as God has provided in incredible ways for us with, with the partnership with, from our sending church, the encouragement, the, the encouragement and, and the support that they have given, but just the way that the Lord has brought people together Different backgrounds, I mean, just similar to the Philippian churches, different backgrounds, different, you know what, just um, experiences in life. And the Lord brings, these, brings us together and he brings us together and we seek and we pray towards unity. We, we strive together and God shows up. And I want to encourage you to be gospel partners. Be gospel partners in the work here. May the gospel be the motivator of why we give, the reason why we do what we do. Not guilt, not duty, not trying to impress our way towards God can't do that and oftentimes we think I can't afford I can't afford any time when it comes to service I can't afford any money I can't afford to give any talent or ability at this time it's just not that time I can say you can't afford not to because of the joy that's waiting the joy that that is there that that the Lord fills you with it's a supernatural joy that he gives to you so that's why if we could have those those two points back up there just just to remind us that that it is as we partner in the gospel as we partner in the gospel. Do we have those points there, Jean-Luc? You can put those points up there. That'd be great. And let's move on to the third one. I can have joy in the midst of blank by having confidence in the future. By having confidence in the future. And look at verse 6 of Philippians 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, you've got to help me. You've got to finish this statement. I think you can figure it out. What God has started, he will... What God has started, he will... Finish. Has God started a good work in you? He will finish it. He will bring it through to completion. Listen to this. I'm going to read it again. And I am sure of this. And remember, he's saying this gushing over. He's excited. He says that what God began in you, he's going to bring it through to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Get ready. Victory's coming. Get ready. It's going to be amazing. Turn to Romans 8. Another passage here we've got to, got to look at because, again, this is Paul who's writing this. And, uh, and, and we've got to see what, what's going on here in, in a statement that he makes. All right? In Romans 8, verses 28. Very familiar passage here. But as I read this, notice the tense past, present, future of how Paul is writing this, okay? So, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called. What tense is that? Past tense. According to his purpose. Those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew. What tense is that? He also predestined, what tense is that? Past tense. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense. And those whom he called, he justified, again, past tense. And those that he justified, he also glorified. 
Think about it. That's all past tense. When God looks down upon your life, it's all past tense. You've been called. You have been predestined. You've been conformed. You've been justified. You've been glorified. It's a done deal. Remember, God is the God of eternity. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. He knows it all. And when he starts a good work in you, it will be finished. It's done. The book has been written. It's happened. The victory is there. You might say, I don't feel very glorified. I don't feel very conformed. I don't feel very justified. You might feel, be feeling a little petrified today. You know, I mean, and, and either a fear or maybe it's, you know, what happens to something when it gets really old. Maybe your faith is old and you've kind of lost that hope and you're just kind of going through it. God sees the work. It's already done. It's done in you. And right now, the struggle and the fear and the fighting and the anxiety, and everything that you may be facing, or even the victory, you're in a period of victory. Watch out, it will change, because life happens. We're promised, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. Again, past tense, your situation, I've overcome it. Let's get walking like it. Let's get believing like it. Because what God starts, he finishes. However, Big important thing here. Has he started that good work in you? Do you know him personally? I mean, really, truly know him. You may have grown up in church all your life. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have been baptized. You may have had certain spiritual experiences. You may have served him. I just heard recently, I mean, my folks are visiting from, from Saskatchewan, and my dad told me of a guy that, that I grew up with. I saw him be an elder in the church. I saw him, you know what, be a, a person that people looked up to as a spiritual leader. Since rejected his faith, and he says, I never believed it anyways. In my heart, it was never real. It was a fake. He learned how to fake it really good, and we can learn to fake it really good. Does the Spirit testify that you are his child? Do you know him? Do you truly know him? And that's where Philippians, we're going to see this in Philippians 2, where he says, work out your salvation. Work it out with fear and with trembling. In in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Are you his child? Have you prayed that prayer? Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? Is there, and you say, I've done that. So yeah, it must be good. I said some words, but but here's, here's the next thing. Is there an affection for Christ? Is there an affection for the gospel? Or, because if there isn't, then you need to be concerned. And maybe you're struggling, maybe you're falling backwards, maybe you're a prodigal, maybe you're living a life, kind of a double life, but, but you know there's, there's that holy, the Holy Spirit is there testifying that what you're doing is wrong. And he's calling you back. Is there that affection? Affection for Christ? Is there brokenness over our sin? Is there guilt? Or, or is, have, has our, our heart become so hard that, that it doesn't even bother us anymore? Is there increasing fruit? This is another way to tell. Is there increasing, increasing fruit in your life? Matthew 7, Jesus said he, said, he said, by your fruits, you will know them. Are the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life? If, if other people were to come to you and, you know, over, over the years and say, you know what, that person is growing in, in love and joy and peace and patience, not, not perfectly, not, but progressively, that's, that's a good thing. He 
say, I don't know, Meldon, this, this is a cause for concern. Yeah, it is. This is important. You say, well, I once was there. I, I, I once felt close, I, but not anymore. Well, who changed? God didn't. You did. So what do we do? Write down this. Please write this down. And I encourage you to read it this week. James 4. James 4, 1 to 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, humble you. Humble yourself and he will lift you up. Draw near. Get close. Examine. You can have joy in the midst of blank whatever you're going through today. By remembering God's faithfulness in the past to you, to others, your family, in the word of God. His faithfulness. By partnering in the gospel, by rolling up your sleeves. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I mean, wouldn't it be great just to have story? We have way too many people to, to serve and harvest kids. Way too many people for set up and take down. When the gospel is taking root in our lives, we say, we're in. Do whatever it takes to be partners in the gospel. I'll, I'll write a check. I'll give online. I'll give money. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes because this is what God has called us to do. I want to be a partner in the gospel because as we do that, there's joy. We're doing it for the... For the gospel, not for wrong motives. Having confidence can have joy in the midst of whatever. Knowing the battle's won, victory's assured. Our confidence in the future that as Christ looks down upon us, it's a done deal. We've been justified, we've been glorified. It's already happened. Let's pray together. Father, there's just too much at stake. There's a world that needs the gospel. But before we even start turning our attention there, there's each one of our individual hearts needs the gospel. This reality to penetrate deep into our lives because then it causes us to live lives of repentance and confession before you. It causes us to live with humility just knowing that that outside of you we are nothing. We we can easily take such pride in our accomplishments and in all that we've done and we take the glory that only you are to receive. We take it upon ourselves and when that starts to happen, it's not good. Father, there's lives, our family, our children, grandchildren, people around us in this city whose, whose lives are at stake spiritually. But Lord, may that gospel work do that new, that fresh, that deeper work in each one of us that we would draw near to you and know that as we do that, that you draw near to us. Father, I just thank you for the joy even in the midst of hard situations. And I pray for brothers and sisters here today that they would take these simple truths from your word, put them to the test this week and know this joy, this unspeakable joy that comes when we build our lives on the solid rock. As I close, listen to this prayer that Paul prayed for his dear friends. And he says, and this is my prayer for you. This is verses 9 and 10 of Philippians 1. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May that be our prayer.